This is a Federal News Network podcast. That vaccine mandate for federal employees and contractors working on site at federal facilities, it's got feathers flying, practical ones, legal ones, even constitutional ones. No less than feds, contractor people are wondering how this will all take place. For some of what's on industry's minds from a legal standpoint, we turn to Holland and Knight partner Eric Crucius. Eric, good to have you back. Great to be here. Thank you. All right. So what does industry view this as? A legal challenge? A logistical challenge? What's going on? I think they're mostly viewing it as a logistical challenge and an employee challenge because you have a situation where for a wide swath of contractor employees, vaccines may be mandated. And I'm not here to comment on whether the policy is the right policy or the wrong policy, but the implications are that there'll be some employees who work for contractors who won't want to partake in that mandate. And there'll be some that are glad it's there. So HR in these various companies is going to really be challenged over the next number of months to really think through what they need to do. And to be clear, this mandate for contractors, it's not specifically saying that it's going to be a vaccine mandate. There is going to be essentially a determination in the next few weeks what kind of health measures need to be in place. One of those that are on the table is vaccines, and everyone is expecting that vaccines will be part of it. But technically, it's not part of it yet. And looking across your vast list of clients, do you find that most of them have got their own corporate vaccine mandate or vaccine and be attested type of regime in place already? Some do. And I think that whole idea is picking up steam as you know, legal challenges to mandates have failed and they haven't really been successful except for maybe an outlier here and there at all in federal court through the last hundred plus years. I think companies are getting more comfortable with the idea with mandating vaccines and other health measures along the way. So I do see more companies picking that up. So how should companies proceed if they have this in place or they figure, okay, we've got staff at federal agencies, we're going to require them to be vaccinated. There must be some verification mechanism, a reporting mechanism. None of that seems to be really in place across the government or across industry yet. Right. We're all kind of, uh, as they say, building the airplane as it's flying. I think proof positive of that is those vaccine cards that everyone had that seem to be pretty easy to kind of replicate and get counterfeit versions of. You've seen people caught with those. And I think this is kind of another example where everything is happening so quickly and events are changing so quickly on the ground that there's not really a thoughtful system in place where it's one size fits all to track people's vaccination status. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a central database at some point, but we're not close to being there right now. So we'll have to see what companies do, but I have to imagine it's going to be up to the individual companies to kind of figure that out. And then they're the ones who are going to have to certify when they sign their contracts that they have taken an adequate measure to look to see if the employees that need to be vaccinated or whatever the other health measures are in place, but that they are vaccinated or whatever else they've promised that they'll do. Well, would you then recommend to clients just make a certified, maybe a uh, notarized list of people that are going to be on site at federal agencies, a list of those that have been vaccinated and submit that to whom? The contracting officer, the general counsel of the agency or, or what? I mean, is there a way to ad hoc this in the meantime? Possibly. Part of it's going to depend on what the clause looks like when it comes out and what the actual health requirements are if they include vaccines. What I would recommend in a general sense for contractors to do is to get that verification from their individual employees and check that off with the ones that are required to have those health measures or vaccines. And then essentially, if a list is required, then submit that list to the agency. A list may not be required. It may just be that you accept this contract, you're certifying that you've done the due diligence to see that the right health measures are in place, including potentially vaccines. And that's all. I suspect that's all that's going to be required. 
And in that instance, it's up to the contractor to make sure it does the due diligence it's required to do. We're speaking with Eric Crucius. He's a partner at the law firm Holland and Knight. And of course, there are those that are still fairly paranoid among us, people that irradiate their grape nuts before bringing them in from the grocery store. And that gets to the idea of product vendors. And you've noted that the way that the executive orders and mandates are written seems to include product people who you would expect would simply ship goods into a federal agency and not being there as co-workers. Yeah, it's really interesting. And this may be because the executive order was probably a little bit rushed because of current events. But if you look at the excluded list of contracts, one exclusion is subcontracts for products. So in my mind, that makes me believe, okay, that means prime contracts or products are included. But then if you look at the list of included contracts, it doesn't specifically allow for prime contracts with products. So I think that's one area where we just don't have a lot of certainty. And I hopefully we will soon enough because some of these product providers are fairly large companies that have to get up to speed and get ready to have a new requirement that's fairly significant. It's going to require a lot of interaction with their employees at various sites, potentially. So that's one area, like you said, um, we're looking at really closely because, you know, I hate to be critical, but I just don't think it was drafted as clearly as it could have been. And I'm sure that's a function of how quickly it was drafted. Well, probably they were envisioning services people being on site at an agency, a network operations center or whatever they're doing, software development. And if new cables or new monitors are needed by a sub to one of the services firms, I guess maybe that's what they had in mind. Sounds like it. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent point. You think of contracts that are out there like the NASA soup vehicle, where it's primarily a products contract, but there are services that happen along with it that require folks to go on site. So I think that's the classic example. So they didn't want to exclude all products providers, but I think they'll obviously have to put some more meat on these bones or at least make the meat so you could tell what kind of meat it is. Is it lamb? Is it beef? Is it chicken? Before they move too far further forward. And hopefully we'll just get some maybe at least informal guidance from the government so those companies that are kind of in that space understand what they have to do. And I guess it's impossible to tell, but have you seen any evidence, again, among the companies you deal with, are they putting people back on site at this point with agencies that have people back in their facilities? It's not a widespread thing yet, so far as we can tell. Yes, some have. And it kind of depends on the nature of the work that they do and you know if there's a clearance necessary and things like that. But some have, and they have varying requirements depending on the nature of the work and how close contact and the agency. So right now, there's not a uniform policy in place. And that's obviously not ideal either, because different employees are going to be treated differently. And they'll wonder why they're being treated differently. And contractors just want to, in general, with compliance, they just want to be told what to do in a clear manner, and they're happy to do it. Maybe happy is too strong a word, but they'll do it. (laughs) And they just want to be compliant so they can continue to do business with the government and get paid and all that stuff. So what really causes heartache is when there's confusion because there are uneven requirements or the requirements themselves are not clear, like where we are right now with this. Eric Crucius is a partner at the law firm Holland and Knight. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest 
credit union where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about but that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that 
I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers as others call them every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship, step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.